Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sure. It won't be long and it will be primary election day in our beautiful Commonwealth. And here to tell us about her campaign is Laura Ellsworth uh, running for governor on the Republican side of the aisle. Hi, Laura. Good morning. Hey, good morning. It is really great to, to talk to you about your candidacy and uh, to get your, uh, you know, issues out there, your thoughts, your opinions. First of all, for people who don't know Laura Ellsworth, uh, give us a little bit of your background. Sure. Uh, my grandparents are from five generations of Pennsylvanians out in the Kingston area by Scranton. And I uh, grew up in New York City, actually, and went to Princeton University undergrad, went out to the University of Pittsburgh for law school, graduated there in uh, 1983, and have been practicing law as a litigator for more than 33 years. And over that time, one of the other things I was privileged to do was lead the Pittsburgh office of one of the largest law firms in the world, which um, allowed me to do what, what business leaders in Pittsburgh region do, which is to participate in a meaningful way in the leadership of the civic and economic development of the region. And so over that time, um, I led just about every one of the economic development um, organizations in the city and with the other amazing men and women uh, participated actively in the process whereby using the private sector leadership and partnering with government, we were able to transform the Pittsburgh region from dead in the water in 1980 when I moved there to one of the most livable places in the country. And what we did there in that corner of Pennsylvania absolutely can and should be done every place else in Pennsylvania. And having done it with the people who were there, knowing that those people are across Pennsylvania, um, that's the kind of leadership we need, and that's why I got in the race. Uh, why isn't it replicated, in your opinion? Because the organization that we use to bring together the private sector and then convert their thinking, experience, planning, and management into the public sector, it's that last piece of it that is not present in many different communities. We figured out how to solve for that problem, and that taking that knowledge and learning and experience across the state will enable us to do everywhere what we did there. What propelled you into this race, Laura? What were you thinking about entering it? Because we know Pennsylvania is a really, really, really big state and lots of ground to cover and hard to get your name out there. What made you decide that you wanted to make the commitment to join this, this race? Because I know what we can be. I see it right in front of us. I see all the ingredients, everything that we need to be the number one state to live and work in across the country. It's right in front of us. And what we lack is a person who has the experience of making that happen, who had um, the willingness to step into the political sphere. I had, I had not been in the political office before because I just wanted to get things done. I didn't want all the noise and yelling and carrying on and distraction. I just wanted to get things done. But what I saw is that to get things done on the kind of scale that I know we can across the state, we need that leadership at the top in the governor's office. And um, knowing what we could be, I 
I could never let that opportunity for this state go by if I believed I had something to bring to the table that I thought could help. And that's what got me in the race, because I knew I did. And I would have been ashamed of myself for the rest of my life if I didn't try. All right. Uh, there are many issues, of course, that are uh, facing the residents of Pennsylvania. One issue that has been uh, a plague where we live is the issue of property taxes. We have an older tax base. We have uh, people who have paid for years and years and years and years and years for our schools. And we have uh, uh, a robust uh, sheriff sales section in the newspaper all the time. And this is uh, incredibly worrisome for some individuals. Do you think that this is something that is solvable? Is there an alternative to sticking it to the homeowners all the time? There is an alternative. One of the things that we have proposed is freezing property taxes for any citizen who has paid them for 35 years or more. I think we owe it to our seniors to relieve them from the ongoing daily terror that the increased taxes are going to drive them out of their homes. And so I, that I would freeze those taxes. I think we also need to do everything we can to bring property taxes down. Two things that I have proposed that you see in more detail on our website are, number one, I would sell the state store system and apply those proceeds to the pension because it is the pension that is driving our property taxes up. That's why they're going up, because we have not adequately addressed our pension issue. So if you sell the state stores, apply the money to the pension, you do three things for people. You bring their property taxes down, you give them better prices and accessibility in the state store products, and you also shore up the pension for those citizens of Pennsylvania who devoted themselves to public service. So you solve three problems at once. The other thing I would do is I would go to the SERS and PSERS pension plan, which have $73 billion in assets, and I would ask them to invest some of that money if I can give them a better rate of return than the 1.3% that they're currently getting, which I can, will they invest in the creation of, say, a pad-ready site? In other words, a site that is ready for a new business to come in, to bring the jobs, new economic opportunity. And then what we'll do is we'll take the proceeds and the, the taxes from that new business and those new taxpayers, and we'll help pay down the pension, which brings everybody else's property taxes down. These are the kinds of, of multi-problem solving solutions that we're required to bring to the table in the private sector every single day. And we need to bring that kind of smart business thinking to government. We know in the past there has been an attempt to uh, to do something about the state store system, and we know that uh, when uh, these these ideas are floated, sometimes people say you're trying to uh, destroy good union jobs. You've heard all this before. This is not new. So how would it be different this time? It would be led by somebody who knows how to make the case to the people. For more than 30 years, I've been a litigator, and, and my job is to take complicated issues and make them understandable and then give them to ordinary citizens on juries to let them make the decision. Because I believe what Lincoln believed. You take the facts to the people, and they will get it right every time. We have never had a leader who made the cogent argument to the people of Pennsylvania about the benefits that would come to them by modification of the state store system. And I know how to do that. I know what the issues are. I know how to make the case to them. And um, I will do that because I believe in transparency and candor, and I believe in the people getting it right. And for the people who are currently working, union members who are working for the state store system, believe me, there are a lot of other things where Pennsylvania needs to deliver better services and performance for the people of Pennsylvania. We have a million ways that we can continue to utilize those people productively, but the state store system simply isn't one of them. 
What is your take on uh, sanctuary cities and immigration? Uh, I think the label sanctuary cities is a bad and dangerous label because it broadcasts that this is a lawless place. And that kind of a broadcast attracts all sorts of lawless people for all sorts of lawless reasons. Um, and I believe that immigration is a federal matter. It is for the federal government to decide. And so I think that reasonable cooperation with federal authorities is incumbent on any city and region. Having said that, I think that unreasonable demands on police forces need to be met with a response. So, for example, I don't believe that ICE should be able to come in and completely commandeer a local police system leaving our streets naked with whatever crime is going on there. So I think we need to be thoughtful about how and where we um, cooperate with ICE, but I think the idea to say that we're not going to provide any reasonable accommodation with immigration authorities is, is an irresponsible and dangerous position that ultimately leaves us worse off as a, as a state. In our region, Laura, and, and probably in, in many regions you've been to across Pennsylvania, we have a, a, a very, very, very serious problem with uh, opioid addiction where we live and it's it's been detrimental on on so many levels so uh, do you have any ideas on on how leadership in harrisburg might be able to be uh, thoughtful and and proactive in this regard I do, and part of this is born from the fact that my husband was a prosecutor for more than 30 years and actually prosecuted the first China White case that was more than 25 years ago where, where synthetic fentanyl was killing people across Pennsylvania. So the issue is not new. It is more intense now. It is more widespread now. But here are a couple of things that I would do. Number one, one of the things that I've been calling for for months was the reinstatement of the secretary position that focused on these issues that Governor Wolf had eliminated. He just about a week ago reinstated that secretary position, I believe, because we've been talking about it on the trail. I think that is a step in the right to sit in the right direction. But he should have done it months ago, and it's one of the reasons that this issue has exploded under his control. The second thing I would do is we have 4,200 state police officers, of whom only of the 4,200, only 95 are trained narcotics officers, and those. People work within pods and don't communicate with each other. So I would increase communication and training among our state police. I would have them communicate better with the attorney general's separate um, set of narcotics agents. I would have all of them communicate better with the federal authorities. And I would have all of them communicate better and provide greater resources to the local police. The other thing I would do is institute what I call two strikes and you're in. Two times of revival with Narcan, you have to go into treatment. And, you know, one of the things that people say to me is, well, you know, shouldn't it be three strikes? And I say, well, it depends on how many near-death experiences you think it takes to know that somebody needs more help than they can give themselves. But I know that what we need to do for our communities, for our EMT workers, and for the people who are addicted themselves and their families, we need to stop this endless loop of overdose and revival, overdose and revival without effective intercession of treatment, meaning 60 or 90 day inpatient kinds of treatment. Laura, the uh, two other uh, men in the race with you have spent a lot of this campaign um, slinging mud at each other. How have you avoided uh, that particular trap yourself? I've refused to do it. It is a question of leadership. There is a, you know, a lot of talk about leadership. But when it comes right down to it, it's like my grandmother said, you judge people by how they act, not by what they say. And I think what we have seen in this race is a profound 
lack of the kind of leadership, decency, integrity, honor that we ought to demand of the people who ask for our vote. And I have in all my life, in my career and as lawyers, and this may be ironic to some people who don't like lawyers, but we have developed a culture of civility because we work within the adversary process. And what we know and believe is that opposing voices argued hard produce the greatest truth. We know that. But in order to have that process work effectively, we must act with dignity and respect for one another. And when people act like my opponents act, I think it turns people off politics. I think they disengage. And what we need to do is we need to engage real people. And we need to get them to understand that this is their government. It is there to serve them. They are part of the solution. They have the answers, not other people. And so I think that, the, that what we have seen is not only detrimental to the election process, I think it is detrimental to the process that we all need to engage in, that what we need to do is believe in one another, work together, and understand that we are here not to talk about ourselves, but to talk about and serve the people who we are asking to vote for us. Laura Ellsworth, Republican candidate for governor in Pennsylvania, the people will choose in just two short weeks. Uh, are you planning to be in our region anytime in the near future? Uh, we are, I think, planning to be in every corner of Pennsylvania. At some point during the next two weeks, we have an RV. We're driving all over Pennsylvania, and um, I am happy to, to go or uh, talk to anybody uh, who would like to talk to us, because I believe, because I always wanted to do it myself, I want to show up looking in the eye and cross-examination. You know, I want to do that hard, and I think every voter deserves to do that with the candidates. And it's, you know, one of the reasons why we have backing out of debates. My opponents have been backing out of debates left and right. We never have, because I believe the people have a right to stand up and ask us every question they want. And any place I can go to allow people to do that, I'll go. All right, Counselor. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it, too. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.